following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. But if you're new with us, um, we've been walking through the book of Hebrews. If you've got your Bible, you want to go ahead and, and open up to Hebrews or, or click on Hebrews, whatever you do, right, to get to Hebrews, right, take your phone out, however that works for you. But we are just stare at the screen. Maybe that's how you do it. Um, but we've been walking through Hebrews, and it's going to be about a year or so of us to get through the whole deal. But um, we don't know who wrote the book that we call Hebrews, uh, but we, re- we know who it was written to. It was written to uh, Jews in the first century who were, it seems pretty clear, they were kind of on the fence when it comes to this Jesus thing. They had grown up their entire lives with a system of, of following the laws of Moses, and now they're hearing that, no, 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 life is actually found in this person named Jesus. And, you know, let's face it. As Americans, it's really difficult, if not impossible, for us to put ourselves in the shoes of these first century Jews. Like I just said, they grew up their entire lives being taught that every single key to godliness to eternal life, to righteousness, was available to them in this temple sacrificial system where they sacrificed bulls and goats in order to get clean, where they had these 613 some odd laws that God had given Moses hundreds of years earlier. Their their entire concept of, of relating to God was based upon their ability to keep their end of the bargain. They had been taught that their own ability to be clean before God was the very thing that determined their closeness with him. They labored day by day, night by night, uh, trying their best to faithfully perform this law in every single way. This law that they thought was there to give them life actually ended up pointing 613 bony fingers at them, showing them just how far they actually were from God. It was this never-ending cycle of trying to do better, trying to try harder and avoid messing up. But you know what? Think with me for a second. Is it really that difficult for us to put ourselves into their shoes? Is it really that hard for us as Americans to wrap our minds around that sort of thinking? I, I, I don't think it really is that hard for us. Let me submit something to you. I I submit that most of our experiences in this thing that we call the Christian life in America is really fundamentally not all that different than what the first century Jews had embraced. Sure, the the religious system that you grew up in might not have included daily sacrificing of bulls and goats. Maybe it did, but probably didn't. All right? But many of us, and maybe not you, but many of us were taught that our are, that, that we must do daily cleansings of our sins in order to get us back into God's good graces. Sure, many of us, probably none of us, grew up in a religious system where we were taught to, to learn and embrace 613 laws that were given by God to Moses and then judge our true commitment to God based on how we perform these 613 laws Maybe some of you did grow up in that sort of system, but many of us probably didn't. But I think many of us, maybe not you, 
But many of us did grow up in a system where we were taught to judge our closeness with God on how well, maybe not we did 613 things, but we did how well we did about four or five things. Like, we judge our closeness with God on how often we go to church. We might judge our closeness with God on how often we read the Bible. How often we read the Bible, how much we read the Bible. Some of us grew up in a system where we would judge our closeness with God by how well we pray, how long we pray, what we pray for. And some of us, God forbid, even grew up in a system where we were judged on our closeness with God by how much money we put in a plate when it passed by. And if you didn't put enough in, then you weren't really close. So yeah, we we might not have grown up in a system exactly like theirs, but here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that while many of the details definitely were different between our religious experience here in America and their religious experience in first century Judaism, but at the very, very core, I think it's the same thing. Performance-based closeness with God. The better we perform, the more effort we put into this thing, the more pious we are, the more zealous we are, the more God is happy with us, the more gain, uh, ground we gain in this never-ending drama of getting closer to God by human effort. Now, I could be wrong on all that, right? I know there's a lot of differences between what we grew up in American religion and what, you know, they grew up in the first century Judaism, but it just seems to me that there's a lot of similarities. The better I do equals the better I am. God helps those who... Helps themselves. That same concept. One of the staples in my spiritual formation as a teenager and then into my uh, young adult life was this concept. Maybe you've heard it before, maybe you haven't. But it's this concept called backsliding. Anybody ever heard that term before? You don't have to admit it if you're, like, embarrassed. But backsliding. Ever heard that term before? (laughs) Ricky's grinning back there. Um, maybe you've never heard this term before, and, and, I, and I hesitate to even bring it up, but here, here's, the, here's the idea, if you haven't heard of this before. Let's rewind in life back to elementary school, back to the good old days, right? You know, where it's just about, you know, getting caught chewing gum or something in class. Like, that was the worst, you know, trouble you got in. Well, let's rewind back to elementary school. Now, you remember the playground? Remember the awesome playground What was the objective of you and me, every single boy and girl on the playground? It was, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was to see who could run up the slide. Right? You remember that? Who could run up the slide? It was the cool, if you could run up the slide, then you were the cool dude in school. Right? If you could run up the slide at my elementary school, because this slide, it was, it was, it was, Lou. It was pretty serious, this slide. It was pretty serious. This slide was so serious that very, very few actually made it to the top. In fact, if you could actually run up the slide to get, to get to the top, the, the, that, that, that fourth grade girl, that you was just, she just was the object of your affection, man, you get to the top of that slide, she's yours. Until recess ended, right? <laughs> many, many people tried. This one slide I remember. Very few got to the top. Some people made it a couple steps up, but what happens? They start losing traction. They slide back down. Some people made it halfway up. Some people made it three-quarters of the way up. This isn't scientific. I'd say 90% failure rate. It was a tough slide 
okay? And then there's this one guy, you know, he's been watching TV commercials, Nike commercials. He said, man, it's got to be the shoes. It's got to be the shoes. Remember those commercials, right? It's got to be the shoes, Spike Lee. And so you're changing shoes, man. You're swapping shoes with people. Man, if I just have the right equipment, if I just have the right tools, then I could run harder and faster and not slide and, and get to the top of the slide. But what happened over and over and over was failure over and over and over And then you slide back, and then now you get to the bottom, and you swap shoes. You've done everything you tried, and you're never going to get the attention of that fourth-grade girl, and just life is ending because you can't get to the top. Well, in a sense, I know it's silly, but that's in a sense this concept of backsliding with God. This term, backsliding, is used by a lot of different denominations in a lot of different ways. Some denominations would say that when you backslide, you actually lose your salvation. You have slidden away from God's grace. And you are now left to uh, get saved again, whatever that looks like, in order to get back up where God is. Other denominations say, no, 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 the playground is salvation. So you, you haven't slid off of the playground, you just slid away from God's presence. And now you've got to do some sort of 21st century bulls and sacrifice, lamb sacrifices in order to get back up. You've got to show how sorry you are. You, you, you've got to get some sin removed from your life in order to get back to where God is. And so as you slide down the slide away from God that's thinking, you double down your efforts trying harder to get back to the top, only to then realize that because you messed up again, you've slid all the way back down. And this Christian life is this effort of trying your hardest to climb up this slippery slope towards God, only to when he's just right inside of your grip, you lose traction and you slide all the way back down. This is why I love people at Life Journey Church who are adults coming to faith in Christ. Because you don't have all this baggage of religiously, listen, invented terms like backsliding. It's not a biblical term. You don't find it in the Bible. So let's be fair to this idea. Is this the way it works? Let's be fair. I know we kind of took fun there, but is this the way it works? Is our closeness with God based on our ability to climb this slide of good behavior by by doing good behavior? Is your ability to get up towards where God is achieved by you keeping track of all of your screw-ups and getting forgiveness from them day by day? Is your ability to get to where God is a result of your effort of being more obedient and less rebellious? In other words, is your intimacy with God based upon your ability to be and gain and create intimacy? Those who teach this concept of backsliding would say, yeah, yes, Your intimacy with God is based upon your ability to create intimacy. Listen, for 30 years of my life, I embraced this teaching. For some 20 years of my Christian life, I not only embraced this idea of sliding in and out of God's presence, but that I actually taught it to others. I'm confessing sin to you. I used to embrace this. My desire over these next three weeks, as we start this mini-series, simply titled, Resting 
uh, rest, enter and rest. I'll get it figured out in a second. Should be on the screen. There it is. Enter and rest. My desire is that over these next three weeks, as we look through uh, Hebrews chapter 4, my desire is that we see that this call to salvation, listen, is not a call to enter and strive. This call to salvation is not a call to enter and labor. It's not a call to enter and climb. It's not a call to enter and spin your wheels as fast as you can in a never-ending effort of trying to run up the slide towards God. It's not a call to enter and don't backslide. This call of salvation is something much, much better. It's enter and rest. You have to come to all three weeks, okay, or else you're going to backslide. All right? <laughs> you have to come to all three weeks. If you can't come to all three weeks, at least take your iPhone, go to the App Store, download the podcast app, right? It's free. Apple made it. It's free. And then once you get it downloaded, search Life Journey Church or search uh, Walt Davis. And you can subscribe to our church's podcast right there on your phone. And it just comes to your phone automatically. If you've got a 20-minute drive into work, you missed service on Sunday, hey, there it is. And so if you, if you can't be here the next three weeks, which I encourage you to be, at least download this stuff because this is life-changing. Before Jesus was arrested and crucified, he even talked about this idea of resting. Look at Matthew 11. All right, these are some of the most scandalous words when it comes to this good news of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the one who utters them. This is Jesus talking. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. This is the idea of you who have worked yourself to exhaustion of trying to create closeness with God. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That from is also the idea of just of. Learn of me. Learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, okay, that's not scandalous enough. Now here, listen to this. My yoke is easy. That, that, that word, original language, also means comfortable. What? My yoke is comfortable, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. How have I missed this my whole life? Man, I, I thought that the Christian life was supposed to be filled with hard things, difficult things, strenuous things, not for the faint of heart. And Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He says, you who have tried and tried on your own to the point where you're just exhausted of trying to create your own righteousness, come to me. And you'll find rest. I certainly don't hear Jesus saying anything about climbing and running up a never-ending slide that you keep sliding down because you can't get to him good enough. So why is it so hard for us to rest? Let's be honest. This is all introduction. We'll get to Hebrews in a second. Why is it so hard for us to rest? Well, I think it's hard for us to rest because, quite frankly, we just don't talk about it. Let's be honest. We just don't talk about it. Now, at Life Journey, we do. But in general, we just don't talk about this. Most of the verbiage in our culture is not rest in Christ. Most of the verbiage in our Christian culture is do these three steps in order to achieve intimacy with God. Do these seven disciplines in order to uh, grow closer to God. Just this morning, I'm not lying, just this morning I was watching TV before we came in and, and the preacher was on here locally and he's, he's praying to God that God would open up their eyes to help the believers grow closer to God. So we don't talk about this idea that we, 
rest in Christ. So what does resting look like? You know, if the Christian life is not this never-ending treadmill of trying our best to grow closer to God, then sliding off of it just to hop back on, if that's not the Christian life, then, then what does it look like? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to do these next three weeks in Hebrews chapter 4. That's why you need to come in the next three weeks, uh, or at least get the podcast. Before we jump into chapter 4, verse 1, let's make sure we understand the context of what's happening. Hebrews is being written to first century Jews who um, are on this fence between, you know, should we really trust in Jesus or should we remain with this system of growing close with God based on our sacrifices and our, and our law, etc. And so, The writer of Hebrews is comparing the promise that we have now in the new covenant of resting in Christ with the promise that existed 1,400 years earlier of the promise of entering into what was called the promised land after the Israelites left Egypt. You can read about this in in Exodus and Numbers. You see, Israel was enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. Then some 1,400 years before Jesus uh, came to earth, God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, and he promised them this thing we call the promised land. You're probably familiar with this term, the promised land. It's, uh, so it's called the, the land flowing with milk and honey. You've heard that term before. And it just means that the land was awesome. It was fertile. It was perfect. It was, it was the perfect place to live. Well, before the, these one million plus or minus Jews walked into the promised land, they sent out 12 spies. And, and, and Jim talked about this a little bit last week. This is just context to get us ready for chapter uh, verse 1. Well, they sent these 12 spies to spy out the land. Well, when the spies came back, two of the 12 spies said, man, this place is amazing. It's ours. God has promised it. Let's walk in faith and take it. Sure, there's a whole lot of big people out there that are very scary, but God promised it's ours. Let's go. That was two of the spies. That's paraphrase, right? The other 10 spies said something like, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. We are like grasshoppers compared to these guys. If we go in there, they will kill us as sure as shooting. Where did I? That was like something that came up. As sure as shooting, they're going to kill us. You ever heard? Is that a term, sure as shooting? I don't know where that came from. All right, as sure as shooting. Uh, yeah, the land is great. That wasn't in the notes. Um, but... <laughs> But, we'll, but, but we won't last a minute in their sight. We know God promised it to us, but if we go in there, as sure as shooting, we're going to die. Is that Hebrew, sure as sure shooting? I'm not sure. So the two spies were looking at the unseen. They were looking at the unseen. They were resting in the promise that God had said, this is yours, take it and rest. The ten spies were looking at the scene. They saw the people, they saw the obstacles, they saw the giants in the land. By the way, this is why the nation of Israel wandered through the desert for 40 years. Did you know that? They wandered through the desert for 40 years because of their unbelief of taking the land when God said to take it. They wandered for 40 years, and 40 years later, only two people entered into the promised land who were alive when the spies gave their report. Do you know who those two people were? The two spies who gave the positive report, uh, Caleb and uh, Joshua. The rest of them actually died because of the judgment of unbelief. 
And so back in chapter 3, the the writer of Hebrews is reminding the Jewish readers of that day. He's begging the the Jewish readers to remember what happened to their forefathers when they did not believe in God's promise. It wasn't good. And now, listen, church, there's such a much better, bigger, infinitely greater promise that has been given. Not of resting in land, but resting in Jesus. Jesus. And so with that context, let's pick up chapter 4, verse 1. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, let us fear, let's be careful, let's let's make sure, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, let's be careful, lest any of you may come short of this rest. You see, the typical Jewish reader would have thought that they were in the promise as they were sitting there in Israel, the promised land. Think with me for a second. You're a first century Jew. Your forefathers entered into the promised land 40 years after it was promised, uh, after they first spied it out. And you are reading this letter from some guy, whoever wrote Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews is saying the promise remains. What's the thought that you would think? Promise remains? What are you talking about, the promise remains? I'm sitting in the promised land. How could the promise remain? Well, uh, what the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate to them is that the promised land is much more than just a place. It's a person. You might want to write this down or text this to yourself. Write this in the margin of your Bible. If you have an iPad Bible, I don't know how you write this down, but But write this, God's promised rest is more than just a promised place. It's a promised person. It should be on the screen if it's not. There we go. God's promised rest is more than just a promised place. It's a promised person. Yes, God promised the land of Canaan to the Israelites, but God promised it to Abraham hundreds of years before they walked in at Jericho. But the promised rest is so much more than just a place. It's a person. It's so much more than land. It's Jesus. And God is calling these first century Jews to not just rest in a place, in a land, but to actually begin resting in a person, Jesus. The place, the promised land, was a shadow of the person, Jesus. True rest, what he's saying, is found in the Christ, not in Canaan. So the promise remains. If they're not in Christ, they're not in the promised rest. It doesn't matter that they're sitting in Israel. That's not the promise The biggest promise is Jesus and not the land. The land was just a shadow. It's kind of like if you go into a church building or you're on a church volunteer team, maybe even on a church staff. If you're not in Christ, it doesn't matter where you are. You're not in the promise if you're not in Christ. So he's saying the promise remains, guys. Let's move into this promise. The promise is about Jesus, not just about this land. Go on to verse 2. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word that they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. This is very powerful. What the writer of Hebrews is saying, we've had this good news preached to us, specifically the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just like they, they the Jews in 1,400 years ago in the promised land, they had good news preached to them. Granted, it wasn't the good news about Jesus. It was the good news about you got land, right? Believe in the land. And just like they missed out on entering into their promised land because of unbelief for 40 some plus years, 
you will miss out, is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You will miss out on this rest in Christ if you continue in your unbelief. In a couple of months, we're going to get to Hebrews 11, verse 6, which says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Verse 3 says, for, he's explaining this, for we who have believed enter that rest. Now, let's don't pass this up. This is really, really big. We who, have inter- we who have believed enter that rest. This means that this rest is not just future rest after we die physically. This is present rest for those now today who believe in this world. We already read the scandalous words of Jesus a little bit ago, come unto me and I will give you rest. This isn't just future rest. A lot of times we think of this thing of resting in Jesus. It's like, you know, rest in peace. Like it's a future thing when we die. This rest is real. It's, it's now and it's experienced by everyone who turns from their unbelief to their belief. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna come over here for a little side note, okay? This is a little side, this is extra, no extra charge. What is the biblical term for when someone turns from their unbelief to belief. What's the biblical term for that? When someone changes their mind and goes from unbelief in Jesus to belief in Jesus. It starts with an R and ends with an E-pentance. Good job. All right, you got it. All right, I heard it out there. Somebody got it. Repentance. Repent. Repent. Repentance. Right? Repentance means just the changing of your mind. Okay? It's the changing of mind. So if I were to use it in today's vernacular, I would say, uh, we were planning on meeting for lunch at Denny's, but we repented and met up at, uh, at uh, Subway. It just means we changed our mind. And when Jesus came into the scene, he says, hey, look, you need to change your mind. Repent. The, the big Greek word, metanoio, just repent, change your mind. If you think that sin is good, you need to change your mind. If you think that you can gain righteousness on your own, you need to change your mind, is what Jesus is saying. They need to change their mind. All who have changed their mind, that is, all who have repented, all who have transferred the trust from themselves to Jesus have entered into this rest, okay? That was a little side note. We'll come back over here. But now listen to this. Just as he has said, now here's, listen to this. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. This means that the only way to enter this rest is by trusting in the promise. If you did not trust in the promise, then there was no rest for you, for your weary soul. And then verse 4, he explains this. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, okay, the somewhere is Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. So he's playing this, 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 uh, he's trying to explain that there's a rest, but you can only enter that rest by actually trusting in this God. Hebrews mentions this resting of God. And he go all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. After God created everything that exists on the sixth day, Genesis chapter uh, 2, verse 1 and 2 says that God rested from all of his creating because the creation was completed. I want you to just, this is a little crowd participation, all right? This helps some wake up maybe. I want you to say the word completed with me. One, two, three. Hey, that's pretty good, all right? Completed. 
God was able to rest because creation was... Okay, let's try that again. This is new, I know, this is crazy. We're, getting, we're, we're going off the chains here. Um, God was able to rest because creation was... All right, good job, good job. We'll put some more caffeine in the coffee next week. God was able to rest because creation was completed. Now, after creation was completed, God rested. Does that mean that God was tired? He's like, man, speaking a couple sentences over six days was really, really hard. And so he had to take a break, coffee break. No, rest is a Hebrew word that we're probably familiar with that just simply means to stop, to cease, to end. It's the Hebrew word that we uh, know as Sabbath. He stopped on the seventh day. Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, it's on the screen here, says that God, after he stopped creation, God then blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Because in it, the seventh day, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Listen, there's a lot going on here, so let me try to break it down as best as I can. God stopped from working because he completed his work. God rested because the work was finished. It was complete. You say, well, you said that a couple times. I know, I'm trying to drill it in. I'm going to say it a couple more times. There was no more work to be done. This is very important. We're not going to see what's going on in Hebrews if we don't see this. It was very good after day six. The last verse of, of Genesis chapter one says it was very good. Creation was very good. Let's say Genesis chapter six. Genesis chapter one after the sixth day of creation. Just it was as good as God had set it out to be. There was no way to improve creation after the sixth day. Listen, if there was room to improve creation, then God would have improved it. It was perfect. The perfect God created a perfect creation, and after it was perfectly created, God what? He stopped. It was complete. He rested. He ceased from all his work on this seventh day. God Sabbathed. He rested. He stopped. Now, why? Okay, we're picking this up. Why did he rest? Why did he stop from creating? Because creation was... All right, so we're together. We're together. It was completed. There's no rest unless the work is completed. Creation was complete. It was perfect. And he blessed the seventh day. He blessed this rest. And he sanctified it. He set it apart. Because in it, it symbolized it. It proved that creation was perfectly complete. Now we know it didn't stay that way. You were just were talking about how it's gone haywire since sin entered into the world. But when he finished it, it was complete. Now let's go back into Hebrews and let's try to pick up what the Hebrews writer is laying down. God rested on the seventh day because creation was complete in every way. No more work to be done. Verse six. Therefore, okay, therefore, because God rested, everything we just talked about, because it was complete. It remains for some to enter it, it being this rest, this rest that has been uh, blessed and, and has been sanctified because God being so perfect in his completed creation. It remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly had the good news preached to them, that's the Jews, right, who were 
trying to take, walk into the promised land. They failed to enter it because of disobedience. Your translation might even say more accurately or, or, or more, more descriptively because of unbelief. But look at the grace of God, verse 7. He again, God again fixes a certain day saying through David, today, today, just like it was said a long time ago, David's now saying this. Some hundred years after the Exodus, David writes about a future rest. Okay, so the rest was talked talk about 1,400 years ago, and even earlier than that with Abraham. But then way after the promised land came into being, this guy David is writing about a future rest. What he's talking about is not this physical land, but a place. Jesus Christ himself. And he says, if you hear his voice, this voice calling you to enter and rest, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, okay, let's rewind. I know we're going all over the place. Rewind back to the Exodus. If Joshua had given them rest, then he, God, would not have spoken of another day after the promised land. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Listen, it's not, you already wrote this in your margin. You can write it down again if you forgot it. It's not about land. It's about a place. It's not about a place, sorry. It's about a person. Now we're going to camp out for a couple minutes in this last verse we're going to look at today and we're going to be dismissed. Four, man, this is good. The one, that is the person, the individual, the human being, the person who has entered his rest. How do you enter his rest? By believing in Jesus. Repent and believe. The one who has entered his rest, okay, here it is, has himself also, what? Rested from all his works as God did from his Man, this is so amazing. I hope in the next couple minutes that the Spirit of God will help me to communicate what's going on here. Why was God able to rest from all of his work of creation on the seventh day? Somebody tell me. Because the creation was completed. The work was complete. It was finished. God was able to rest on the seventh day because the, rest was complete, the work was completed. We just looked at that, remember? Well, yeah, I tell you what, let's just put it back on the screen. Genesis 2, 2 through 3. The seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work. Why did he rest? Because the work was complete. Then God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Listen, I know I've said this a couple times, but I'm going to say it a couple times more. There can only be rest when the work is complete. Man, you guys are smart. You guys are good. There can only be rest when the work is completed. Now let's take that and go back to this verse. For the one, the individual, the person, the human being, the one who has entered his rest, God's rest, has himself... The individual also rested from his works as God did from his. Now, let me ask a couple of questions here to try to make this come alive. How in the world are you and I who trust in Christ able to rest from our works? 
How are we able to rest from our works? That's the big number one question. But in order to answer that question, let's ask another question. I hope I don't lose anybody. What are these works? Before we can really answer the question of how are we able to rest from the works, let's just make sure we know what these works are. What are these works? What, what, what is it that we are trying to create? Remember the parallelism? He's going back to Genesis, talking about creation. He's, he's ceased from creating. What are we trying to create? Well, I'm going to throw some things out. I might be wrong. Here we go. Among many things, I think we could all agree that humanity as a whole, not, 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 not necessarily every person, but as a whole, humanity has tried and tried and tried to restore some sort of utopian perfection that we as a human race experienced way back in Adam and Eve in the garden. We know as a human race we're broke and we're working in a variety of ways to try to return to that place. Remember back with me to the fall of Adam and Eve. What was it that Satan tempted Adam and Eve with? The temptation was not just to be like God. It wasn't just to be like God. That's what I was taught growing up. The temptation wasn't just to be like God. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says that God has predestined us to come into conformity with his son. If anybody wants us to be like God, it's God himself. He's predestined us to come into the conformity of his son. The temptation wasn't just to be like God, but listen, the temptation was to be like God, watch this, without God. See that? If the temptation was to be like God in every way, even knowing the difference between good and evil without any sort of union with God. In my opinion, the perpetual condition of humanity is this. The endless attempts to restore this closeness with our creator. It might not be called that by everyone I know, but there remains within us, humanity, a drive to get somewhere where we are not. We see it in politicians, right? My favorite politicians, Ronald Reagan, he talks about the city that's on the hill, you know, being somewhere, going somewhere where we currently are not. We see it in education, trying to take children somewhere where they are not educationally. We, we see it in humanitarianism, trying to, to take a culture somewhere where it currently is not. It's not a bad thing. It just shows us the ingrained desire as a people to get somewhere where we currently are not. What are the work that we now can rest from. Well, let's get to the context of the original readers. They, these Jewish individuals in the first century, were faithfully attempting to do the law of Moses. All 613 of them, complete with bull sacrificing and goat sacrificing when they messed up. Their works, listen, were their attempts to create perfection, to try to create righteousness, to try to create holiness. So what does that look like for us today? Well, like I said in our opening, our efforts might not look exactly the same. We might eat shrimp, right? Whereas they couldn't. We might send a Friday night email. They couldn't. Well, plus they didn't have the internet. But we, we might want enjoy Saturday morning yard work. They couldn't. So it might look a little bit different, but listen, I can't help but thinking that as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a as a religiously focused person, our works are works of trying to create on our own this perfection, trying to create righteousness, trying to create okayness 
and intimacy with God. And this, I think, is what the writer of Hebrews is shouting with his pen. We can cease and assist. We can rest from all of these works of trying to create closeness with God. So what are the works that we can cease from? This works of trying to create perfection in our own lives. So let's go back to the big question. How are you and I who trust in Jesus, how are we able to rest from these works of trying to create closeness with God? How are we able, how can we afford to rest from trying to create perfection in our lives? How can we afford to rest from creating our own closeness, our own attempts at trying to gain intimacy with God? How can we rest from trying to run up that slide every time we slide down it? How can we rest from it? Please listen. There can only be rest when the work is complete. So how can you and I who trust in Jesus rest from the seemingly never-ending work of creating intimacy and closeness with God? We can rest from this work of trying to create intimacy, listen, because it has been completed. Wow. Wow. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross has removed from us every single last hindrance that separated us from the Father. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become what? The very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All of our sin was placed on the Son on the cross so that in that moment of of, of the crucifixion of the Son of God, the full cup of God's wrath and fury was poured out on the Son, removing, not just covering, but removing our sin from our account. And in his death and his burial and his resurrection, we who believe in Jesus have also participated in that death, that burial, and that resurrection to the point where the old man is gone and a brand new creation, a brand new man has been raised that's no longer joined to the flesh, but it's now joined to Jesus. How can we afford to rest from trying to create intimacy with God, create closeness with him? We can rest in Christ, here's our journey marker, from all of our works, because the work is completed. Somebody say amen. Somebody say hallelujah. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. We can rest from our work of trying to create intimacy because intimacy has already been created. We can work from trying to slide, run up the slide of God's grace because we are seated in Christ at the top of the slide and we ain't going nowhere. Please hear me. We can rest from all of our works of trying to create perfection because the work of perfecting us is complete. I know we haven't got to Hebrews 10 yet. I'm sorry for putting the cart before the horse, but Hebrews 10, 14, by one offering, Jesus, he God has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. The good news of the completed work of Christ is scandalous. Let's just be honest. It's scandalous. When the Pharisees heard this in the book of Acts, they tore their clothes, they ground their teeth, and they picked up stones to kill people who were saying this message. And some of you this morning might kind of feel that way because of religion working its way into our mind and our thinking. We can rest from trying to create obedience 
before God because we have been given the very obedience of Jesus. We can rest from trying to create holiness because we've been made holy. We, we can rest from creating righteousness because we've been made righteous, 2 Corinthians 5.21. We can rest from trying to create okayness with God because we are now okay with God. We can rest from trying to create fellowship with God because he has called us into fellowship with Christ, uh, uh, 1, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.9. We can rest from trying to create intimacy and union and oneness with God because we are now born from him, one with him, John 17, 22. We can rest from trying to get ourselves closer to God because he has completed the work of making us in Christ close to him. These aren't things that we have to hope for one day to accomplish if we really, really try hard. These are things that we cannot lose if we get stupid and choose to sin. We're going to sin. We mess up all the time. These are absolute, unshakable truths of our new life in Christ. Again, I know we hadn't got there yet in Hebrews, but Hebrews 7 says that Jesus is able to save forever. He's able to hold us in the intimacy of the Father forever since he always lives. Christ's Christ must end his, his eternal existence in order for his completed work to be undone. In other words, there's no backsliding from God's presence and grace until Jesus is dethroned. So if we, let's just be honest, let's put you know the two and two together. If we are going to embrace this concept that I slide away from God when I do bad things, what we have to equally believe is Jesus is no longer king. That's scandalous. I know what we're thinking. What about the giants in the land, Walt? What about all the sin that's still in our flesh? What about the sin that we're going to have to fight and battle? That's why you got to come back next week. Okay, we can't get all of it in one Sunday. you got to come back next week because he goes into that. It's so cool. He goes into that. Come back next week. But God's already taking care of that as well. Our band's going to come up, and we're going to close out with a couple of worship songs. We've actually selected a worship song that's going to be kind of our theme song for these three weeks. It's the old hymn, Jesus, I'm Resting, Resting. And we're going to start into that. I encourage you, unless you have to have to leave, please stick around because I'm actually going to come back up and close our service in a very unique way. Plus, we have these wonderful uh, angels that we want you to get uh, as soon as we uh, dismiss. So here's my encouragement as we wrap this thing up. If you trust in Jesus whether it's for 40 years or for four minutes, please open your eyes and see what he's actually done for you. Please open your eyes and see what he's actually done for you. You you are not clean and close to God by your abilities to do good things and not do bad things. In fact, let's just be honest, God has zero confidence in your flesh. He has zero confidence in your flesh. We'll talk about this more next week. I won't get the cat out of the bag. But this is why he has spiritually cut you away from your flesh. He cut you away from your flesh and he has created you brand spanking new. Your new life is complete. It's created in the very image of God himself in true righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 4.24 If you don't hear anything else, please hear this. 
Colossians 2.10, in him, him being Jesus, you have been made, oh, one more, one last time, you have been made complete. Because you are now complete, the new you, we're not talking about the flesh and the sin that lives in our flesh. We'll get into that some next week. I'm talking about the real you. The you that will live forever because it's now joined to Jesus. We're not talking about your flesh or the sin in your flesh. But the new you is now complete, perfect in every way, now in Christ. You can rest from all your efforts of trying to become complete. Just as God rested from his efforts of creating the world. Because on the seventh day, it was complete. I know it's hard to believe, but the gospel really is good news. It's good news. Now, if you're still on the fence with this whole Jesus thing, maybe that's you. I'm so glad you're here hearing this. Maybe you're still on the fence, you know, of believing in Jesus or not. And you're kind of like the people who are reading this letter some 2,000 years ago. Let me encourage you to get off the fence and start believing in Jesus today. Just as the promise remains today for you to enter this rest, there will come a day when the opportunity ends. Now, the resting in Christ will never end, but the opportunity to enter the rest one day will end when your life in this world ends. Remember the first verse from this morning? Let us fear. Let's be careful. Let's make sure that you have entered into this rest. Today is the day. Enter and rest. If you want to talk about what it means to believe in Jesus during the music, I'll be in the back, uh, our other elders will be in the back if you want to talk about what it means to trust in Jesus. Come and talk with us. We'd love to. I'm going to pray over us and we're going to stand and sing. Let's go ahead and stand up. Father, we thank you so much for this good news. It is scandalous. This is the news that caused Pharisees to grit their teeth in anger. This is the news that many of us who have grown up in religion just cannot swallow that Jesus has actually made us clean and actually made us close that Jesus has actually allowed us to cease from our works of trying to create righteousness because he has given us as a free gift his righteousness Oh God, please help us to see this because from this flows everything. From this flows the the change of our lives, the transformation of our flesh. From this truth is the wellspring of life that our society, our culture, our neighbors and the nations desperately need to see and hear. They need the love of Christ that is swelling up within us as we see just what you've done for us. They need to experience that. They need to receive that they need to believe it but God if we see that we're still on this never ending treadmill of trying to work our way towards you then God will never operate from the rest of our soul God help us we pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not believe in Jesus God today be the day as long as it's called today they're good but there's going to come a day we've had several who have passed in our community In our families, over the last couple weeks, life is fragile. Life ends. This rest in Christ will never end for those who enter. So, Father, we thank you. 
We thank you for what you've done. For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, not of our works, lest any man should boast. Amen. Amen. You know, this, this revelation of resting in Christ is really, really big. I'd even say it's huge. So look at this verse again. On the seventh day, God blessed the day. He blessed it and he sanctified it because he rested from all his work. This is a picture of our eternal rest now in Christ. Now that Christ has completed a work of creating us new. We just sang about it. This rest in Christ, in His rest, we are now blessed. Ephesians 1 says we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, we are now even sanctified by His one offering. Hebrews 10.14 Having trusted in Jesus, we now enter this rest where we, by His grace, we are blessed. We are sanctified. And a joy we now have this week in our homes, in our marriages, in our workplaces, on the golf course, the coffee shop, wherever it is, even on the side of the road when you lose a tire, whatever it is, we this week have the joy of living in light of this rest. We can all today just go, ah, because it's done. It's complete. And out of that joy, we now live. Out of that joy, we now love because He first loved us. Father, we thank You so much for this morning. We thank You for this letter from somebody written to the Hebrews that we now are reading some 2,000 years later, which is showing us exactly what Jesus has done, where we now can rest from trying to create closeness with you because closeness with you has been created by your grace, not our work. We enter and rest. Father, I pray this week that we, from that place of rest, we serve, we love, we manifest Christ into this world so that they see Jesus and believe. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.